Oh, Father God, we are grateful to be here. We're excited about opening your word, and God, we just pray that you open the hearts of the people here today. That they can see your wonderful mercy. We know your word, God, it teaches us that unless you draw a man first to yourself, that he will not come. And so I pray, God, that you work mightily of drawing people to yourself today. Help us today, God, as we look at Christ and see the great blessings we have to be forgiven for our sins in our lives. Help each of us to grow stronger and deeper in a relationship with you, Lord. Give each one of us to desire to grow and be more like you. I know, God, there are many people here today. Uh, many people who are in pain and suffering and heartache. And I just pray that, God, you help us to be sensitive to that. To cry with those who cry and to weep with those who weep, but also to rejoice with those, God, who rejoice. And remind us to do all things in love and with compassion. And help us to become all things to all men, God, that we might win some to Christ. Not with marketing schemes. But help us to teach and preach Your Word and truth, knowing that many may reject God. But Lord, in Your great mercy, You give Your people in this church and those listening via the internet to stand on the one thing, God, that You've given us, and that is the truth of the Word of God. For God, that's where we start, and that's where we end, the truths of Scripture. Your teachings sometimes, God, I know are hard, but Your wonderful grace and mercy can allow us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And understanding that your teachings, God, are not to harm us or condemn us, but to bring about joy and a peace that brings true forgiveness. And help us, God, to not simply be religious, but to be about a relationship with you. And so that one day, God, when we stand before you, we will hear the wonderful words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. And help me, God, to be a man of God you wish me to be. To teach your word as you tell me in First and Second Timothy. And help me, Lord, that I would not seek after the wisdom and approval of man, but of God alone. We love you. And we're grateful for this time that we can come here and open your word. I pray for strength and wisdom and power that's only in Christ. Fill me with your spirit. Strengthen me. Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've been looking at uh, several things in Scripture. Several tough topics in Scripture. And for those that have, have not been here or, or that are visiting or that have been away for a while, we are grateful to have you this morning. And so as an introduction to where we've come and where we're at now, we've been looking through the seven seas of history. An outline, so to speak, of the major events throughout the Bible from beginning to end. And while I understand that, 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 that all God's words are inspired, we want to step back and take a picture 
take a look at the big picture of things. What God is doing and what God is saying. And well, these seven seas in history that we see help us put together the picture of God's plan from beginning to end. And so we began with creation as God told us about how He created things and how He created order in which we must follow. And then we dealt with corruption, the fall of man, and how Adam and Eve were deceived by the evil one and fell into sin. And then if you remember the worldwide catastrophe where God wiped out every man and human on the face of the earth except for the eight that were in the boat. And last week we looked at the confusion, but in the future I hope that we can look today at Christ, and then the cross, and then consummation. Last week we stopped at confusion. The four points that we looked at, we saw man's desire for rebellion. The people to settle down and they failed to do as God had called them to do. They settled down in their situation instead of accomplishing what God had asked them to do. And then we saw man's desire for reputation. We saw that these men had decided that they wanted to make a name for themselves so that they wouldn't be scattered all over the earth. And they desired to make for themselves a name. And then we saw God's restraint against them to prevent them from becoming what they could have become. And really, we need to look at this as a blessing because sometimes we get involved in things that God doesn't want us to do and so He restrains us and there's hope in that. And then finally we saw God's reversal against man. The very thing that they were trying to accomplish. They wanted to make a name for themselves. God confused their languages to where they didn't even understand one another's names. And so that's what we looked at last week. This week, we're going to move right into Christ. There was a young man, a father of a family that was trying to go on vacation with his family for the longest time, but every time he decided to go on vacation, something came up with work. And so they were trying to be creative, and as a wife that was smart, she realized that, well, I need to try to figure out something where we can have this vacation. And so she decided, she said, "Hun, next time you go out on town to, to work, why don't we just plan a trip? When you get done, we'll flop and meet you there and we can have a vacation. And so the husband thought, what a wonderful idea that would be. And so they did. The man's next business trip was to Florida. And she thought, well, I'd love to go to Florida to the beach. And so they scheduled that trip. And it was time for him to go on the business trip. And so he kissed his wife and his kids and he flew out. And as he arrived, he decided, well, you know, I probably need to call her or send her an email that I made it safely. And so he got out his little Blackberry and he started typing away. But the problem was is he forgot her email address. And so he said, well, I need to send her this. And so he decided, well, I know most of it. And so he took a guess and he sent out the email. The problem was is that... He missed one letter on the email. And so the email obviously did not make it to the wife, but it did make it to an elderly lady that had just lost her husband the day before. And the email read this way. When she opened the email and she read what it wrote, she passed out cold on the floor. And when she read it, it said this, Hey honey, I've just checked in. 
And everyone is waiting on your arrival, but I must warn you, be prepared, it's extremely hot down here. <laughs> so, the point there is that there was a misunderstanding. And so today I wonder if there may be some here that have a misunderstanding of Christ. And maybe you don't truly understand the power that He has or who He claims to be as Jesus. Maybe you don't understand altogether. Praise God you're here today. Maybe some of you are here walking with God and living lives that are glorifying and honor to Him and you understand Jesus precisely who He is. Amen. We need more people like that in the church today. And I truly hope that as we get done looking at this passage of Scripture, that you will be able to see where you are in Christ and what you believe about Him and who you believe that He is. And I tell you, as we look at the passage here in John today, John did not have a misunderstanding of who Jesus Christ was. He understood who Christ was to the fullest extent. And really and truly in all the Gospels that we look at, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see each one of these persons try to portray Christ as a certain person. And so in Matthew... We see He pictures Christ as the King of the Jews. In Mark, He shows Christ as the servant as He writes to the Romans. And in Luke, He views Christ as the Son of Man as He is writing to the Greeks. And here in John, He is presenting Christ as the Son of God. He writes for the whole world. John is showing us throughout the Gospel that Jesus Christ is deity. If you recall back in Exodus 3, chapter 14, or chapter 3, verse 14, God said to Moses this. He said, I am who I am, he said. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so I want you to see that in this whole book of John, John points out several times in his gospel. Matter of fact, seven times we see the seven I am statements that Jesus made. He said, I am the bread of life. Chapter 6. He said, I am the light of the world. In chapter 8. And he said, I am the door of the sheep. In chapter 10. He said, I am the good shepherd. In chapter 10. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. In chapter 11. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in chapter 14. And the seventh one, he says, I am the true vine in chapter 15. And these names are speaking of the deity of Christ. And no doubt in my mind, Jesus understood what he was saying when he made the statement, I am. And if you recall, when he was standing before the soldiers and they said, We are looking for Jesus, he said, I am. And they fell down. And so we take a look at Christ today and I hope to give you a better understanding of Christ as we look at these passages. So this morning I put together three points that I think will help us and show us what the text teaches us. Number one, the text teaches us who Christ is. Number two, the text teaches us what Christ does. And number three, the text teaches us what Christ has. If you will, let us go and turn to John 1, 1 to 5, and begin reading our text this morning. If you are here this morning and you have a Bible, raise your Bible up in the air. Wonderful. Listen, we come here and I put these scriptures up 
so that you can read the text. It's important we bring these Bibles so that we can uh, open the Word for ourselves. And, and for parents who have kids, it's a good thing to have so that you can be an example to your children. You know, I, I must say I'm, I'm just a little disturbed right this second. You know, I watch people come in the service and I watch people leave out of the service. And not everybody leaves for the same purpose. But listen, guys, as I watch people walk out of these doors, that I know that every bit of my body within me needs to hear these words. We need to stay and pray for people. We need to be praying for people as they get up and walk out. I understand people walk out for a certain reason, and those are fine. But when people leave, because it's time to preach the Word, we need to be praying for those people. Because I pray for you guys on a daily basis. And I'm praying for those who are going through issues in life together as families. And the reality is, some people don't want to hear the Word of God. They don't want their lives to be changed. They don't want to hear conviction. And I tell you this morning, I'm praying that God convicts your hearts. That we can change and go closer to Him. And I'm sorry, that's kind of a side stance, and I apologize. But anyways, let us look at our text this morning. John 1, 1-5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You know, really, this is one of the most profound passages in the Bible that we find. And really, John writes it in a way that we can all understand it simply. A child could read this passage and understand it and understand what he's saying, but the Spirit of God that was working through John as he wrote these words brings about a teaching that surpasses the greatest minds that have ever lived. And that is why that's what John does. He takes things that are deep in understanding and he writes them out simple so we can understand them. And I find it very interesting that as you look at the most translated book into new languages is John. You know, uh, you go to a Bible college and you learn Greek and the first book they take you to is John. Because it's very a simple book to understand. It speaks about Christ and His love. But yet it is so profound that it blows the minds of many people, including myself sometimes. And so we see an example of this in John as we look at John 14.20 when he says, You and me, and I and you. You know, I looked at that and I thought, You and me is, okay, I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. That seems really simple. I can understand that. But when we began to look at it in depth, you and me speaks of our justification. And so uh, Christ is in me and so therefore I'm justified. I'm declared not guilty. 
And I in you speaks of our sanctification. How I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And now that I'm in Christ is in me, I begin to, to grow and live my life. And so it speaks of our sanctification. And right here in our text, John 1.1, 1, 1, it's, a, it's a simple passage to understand. But really it's the most difficult as we begin to dig deep into the subject of who Christ really is. And that brings us to our first point this morning. This text teaches us who Christ is. John 1, 1 and 2, In the beginning was the Word, and Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. And I think that to help understand this small passage of Scripture, that it would help to define a few terms before we get started. And so the first word that I want to look at is the word, Word. Okay, and so when it says in the beginning was the Word, what does that mean? What is it talking about? Well, in the Greek, the, the usage here is called lagos. And it means Word in English. And it can be understood as the same as by means in which God reveals Himself to the world. And I submit that I believe that's talking about Jesus Christ. And so when we see the Word, I believe it means Jesus. The lagos... The word means word or, or statement or speech. And I think that's why in Hebrews 1 it tells us how God speaks to us. And that, that is through Christ because Christ is the Word. It says God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these days He has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things through Him. Also, He made the world. Jesus is the Word. And He had words of eternal life. As Jesus asked His disciples, are you going to leave Me like all these others have? In John 6, 68, he says to Simon, or Simon says to Jesus, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so I submit again, Jesus is the Word. And to really bring home the idea of Jesus being the Word, jump over for just a second to first or John 1.14. And let's look at this idea of Jesus being the Word. John 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. I can stand here today and say with confidence that this passage here, when it is speaking of the Word, it is speaking about Jesus Christ. And so that's the first term that we needed to look at was the Word. And it equals Jesus. And the second word I think we need to understand is beginning. What does it mean beginning? In the beginning was the Word. Well, it simply denotes the first point of time according to the context of the passage. Whether of creation, whether of the first appearing of Jesus, or of the beginning of being a new Christian. I think a good example would be pre-existence. And I think the great, that's a great way of putting it. Before God created anything, that's what the beginning means. You ask, how do I know that? Because verse 3 will show us that the Word existed before the creation of the world, and that would make the beginning the pre-existence. 
And so we know that beginning mean what beginning means, and we know what the word means, and that's Jesus. Now let us read the text one more time with that in mind. Now I'm fixing to read you a Stuart Guthrie translation, but I want to plug the English words in with the definitions that would make sense to you as you looked at what the word was and what. The beginning was. In the pre-existing time before anything was created was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. This text is really teaching us who Christ really is. God. That is the deity of Christ. And He is the same as God and He has, has with God and was the same as God. And you ask this morning, how can Jesus and God be the same person? Well, I tell you, it's been a, it's been a topic that's been discussed for years and years and years. But the reality is, it's very, very, very important. And I think John understood well that Jesus was the divine Word. Listen, the deity of Christ is a non-negotiable for the Christian faith. It's not one thing that you can say, well, I don't really believe that Jesus and God are the same person. How can that be? That's impossible. And so I ask myself the question, why is it? Why is it that it's so important that we understand who God is and who Jesus is and how they work together in unity? And so... I want to give you three answers that I came up with why it's important that we must understand the deity of Christ. Listen, if Jesus isn't God in flesh, then John is a liar. John claims throughout this whole gospel, and we see it in simple terms here in John 1 1, the word was God. And if it isn't truth, this book is a sham and full of errors, false teachings. And the reality is, is that was, that's what the heretics and the cults teach. That Christ is not deity. And that's the biggest problem with the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. They don't believe in the deity of Christ. As Shane and I shared out last weekend, that was one of our debates. That they didn't believe in the deity of Christ. They want to believe their own ways, their own thoughts. You ask, well, Stuart, how can three things be in one? That's not humanly possible. Well, actually it is. Look at water. Would you believe and say that water exists? H2O, of course you would. We drink water every day. Well, what happens when you heat water up? It evaporates. What happens when you freeze water? It turns to ice. And so there's your three in one. Air, water, and ice. And we don't have a problem with that, but when it comes to the thing of God, we say we can't understand it. Secondly, if Jesus is not God in the flesh, then Jesus is a liar. Because Jesus claims to be deity throughout the whole Bible. And Jesus gives the seven I am statements, if you remember, showing that He claimed to be God. He accepts Thomas's call to be God when He says, My Lord and my God. He praises Him. Jesus praises Him for His faith by saying that. Christ accepts this idea of being God. And in John 12:40, He speaks about Jesus. But really, when you look at the passage, it's a parallel passage that's talking about God. And so there, here you got John teaching about Jesus, and he understands that the parallel passage is talking about God, and therefore they are one. 
Paul throughout his passages of Scripture thought Jesus to be God as well. And so in Philippians 2, chapter, I mean, chapter 2, verse 6, Paul writes that Jesus existed in the form of God, possessing absolute equality with God. Jesus and God in Scripture are called the same thing throughout the Word as well. They are both called shepherds. They are both called Holy One. They are both called Judge, Redeemer, Alpha, and Omega. And if you will, if you'll look at your, uh, in your Bible at Revelation chapter 1, verses 17, we read it this morning. He begins speaking here. Most people, if you ask, who's speaking in this passage? They say, God is. God is speaking. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And then when, right when we jump over a continuation, it says, Do not be afraid, I'm the first and the last. That's Alpha and Omega. And the living one. And I was dead. If this is not Jesus, then God died. And I submit to you, God didn't die, but Jesus went to the cross and gave His life up for mankind. He says, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and of Hades. So Jesus was in the beginning with God. He was God and became flesh and dwelt among us. And so listen, when Jesus speaks in His Word, we better be paying attention because God is speaking. And when God teaches us a lesson in Scripture, we better not twist it to fit our own desires, our own understanding, our own ideas. The idea of a marketing-driven church is what the Western culture is picking up. And we need not to fall into the pattern of that. You may ask... What do you mean by marketing-driven church? Well, listen, I didn't take marketing in school, but I know there's some here that have, and they would probably agree with me, that in marketing, the desire is for the producer and the consumer to both be happy and pleased. But the moment we as a church in America today began preaching the truth of God's Word, the consumer should and will be offended. Because that's what Scripture does. God's Word is convicting. And when we are convicted, listen, it's not a bad place to be. It's a wonderful place to be. Because we're in a place where God can grow us and make us more into the image of Christ. Convictions are a blessing. They bring about opportunities, forgiveness, reconciliation, and victory. All because God's Word is living and sharper and active. And it's supposed to be painful. Look, I had some of the most painful experiences as a child. My legs used to hurt. I used to have nightmares because I were experiencing growing pains. But the fact that I was hurting meant I was growing. Churches across America need to make sure that we are heading towards a biblically sound ministry. That begins by listening and heeding the instructions of, the, of God's Son. And I need to make sure that as I stand up here, I'm preaching the truth of Scripture. In love, with compassion,
but also listening to the instructions that Paul gives Timothy in First and Second Timothy. He says this, Correct those who are teaching false doctrine, chapter 1. Fight the divine truth. Fight for divine truth, chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Pray for the lost, chapter 2, verse 1 to 8. Call women in the church to fulfill their God-given role of submission and raise up godly children, setting an example of faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint, chapter 2, verse 9 to 15. Carefully pick up spiritual leaders. Pick them out based on their giftedness and godliness and virtue. Chapter 3, 1-13. Recognize the source of error and point it out to the brethren. Chapter 4, verses 1-6. to Be a model of spiritual virtue that all can follow. Verses 7-11. to Be gracious and gentle in comforting and sin of His people. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Fight the good fight against the enemies and all attacks. Chapter 6, verse 12. Keep the Lord's commandments. Verses 13 to 16. Guard your word, guard the word of God as a sacred trust and a treasure. Verse 20 to 21. 2 Timothy. Keep the good, the gift of God fresh and useful. Chapter 1, verse 6. Don't be timid but powerful. Chapter 1, verse 7. Never be ashamed of Christ or anyone who serves Him. Chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. Hold tight the truth and guard it. Chapter 1, 12 to 14. Be strong in character. Chapter 2, verse 1. Be a teacher of truth so that many may reproduce himself in faithful men. Chapter 2, verse 2. Suffer difficulties and persecution willingly while you you maximize your effort for Christ. Chapter 2, verse 3 to 7. Keep your eyes on Christ at all times. Chapter 2, verse 8 to 13. Lead with authority. Chapter 2, 14. Interpret and imply the word accurately. Chapter 2, verse 15. Be an instrument of an honor and set apart of sin and useful for the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 20 to 21. Preach the word in and season and out of season. Repute, reprove, rebuke, exhort with patience and instruction. Chapter Chapter 4, verse 1 to 2. Endure hardship. Chapter 4 and verse 5. Do the work of an evangelist. Chapter 4 and verse 5. That's the biblical view as we as a church should operate under. And these instructions go far beyond a pastor. These are teachings for every Christian in all types of ministry. Every Christian is called to a life of ministry, to share their faith in the public community. We are called to preach the Word of God and go and make disciples. And we are all to play our part in doing the ministry of God's work. And so when God's words speak to us, we must obey them. Christ is Lord, God in flesh. And from the beginning of time He existed. And the text here in John teaches us that Christ is God in flesh. But it also teaches us what Christ does. John 1.3 All things came into being through Him. Apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And here John expresses uh, the great deal of power and ability that Christ has. He says that everything that came into being came through Christ Jesus. And so John really sets this point in the stone as he gives us uh, a negative repeat, so to speak. He says, apart from Him, nothing. 
And that literally means no, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. He wanted to make it very understanding. And so he gives us a negative repeat. And look at the facts that Jesus was uncreated is just another proof of his deity. And for those who have a philosophical mind, this may settle well with you, some it may not. But the creator of all things must himself be uncreated. And only the eternal God is uncreated. And if Jesus is uncreated, who does that make an equal to? God Himself. And so what does Jesus do? He creates. He creates in different ways. He creates His God the Father in creation when He says in the beginning God created. He creates His God the Son in transformation. And therefore, anyone who is in Christ, He's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 He creates as God the Holy Spirit in regeneration. In John 3.6 it says, That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. The text teaches us that He created all things. And Colossians gives us a great teaching as well. And Excuse me, I forgot to put it up there. But this is what it says. Don't worry about turning. Colossians 1, 16-17, just write it down. You can look later. It says this, For by Him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Listen, Christ creates. And without Christ, we're not new creations. Christ created each one of us in the image of God. And I find it very interesting. He says in Genesis as well, let us, plural, let us create man in our image. Listen, it rings from the beginning to the end that Jesus claims deity. And I tell you this morning, it's a non-negotiable. And that is why we can say, uh, that's why Jesus can say in John 14, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through Me. If we fail to see and understand who Jesus is and what He does, we miss the mark. And Jesus creates within us a new person at the moment we understand our lostness and our sin and our need for a Savior, Jesus Christ. And just like He created in the beginning, so He will create new lives today. And you may say, well, I don't feel very new. I'm beat up, I'm beat down, I'm tossed around. Well, the hope of Christ is for all those who are weary laden. You go to Christ, and He can give you rest. But some are not in Christ. Some have failed to put their complete 100% faith in Jesus Christ. And so you see, if we fail to see and understand who Christ is, then we miss it. Just like He created in the beginning, so He can create today a new heart. And I tell you, it's very interesting when you see somebody that you've been praying for your whole life to come to know Jesus Christ and, 
as Savior, at the moment when, those, when that person believes in Jesus Christ, you can't help yourself but to realize God has done something in that person's life. He begins to speak of spiritual things. He begins to hate sins. He begins to have a desire for the things of God. There is a difference. There is a new creation. Not that one time I prayed a prayer and you know, I go to church every Sunday. But yet my personal life hasn't changed a bit. I'm still living in habitual sin against God. And you know what? It's okay. He'll forgive me. Paul says, shall we sin even more that grace bound even more? Of course not. It never be. Listen, when God comes in and regenerates your heart, He gives you a new heart. That you can have a victory over sin. And we can have hope in Jesus Christ. And you can have victory in Jesus if you simply confess today your sins to God and ask for forgiveness. And you can have the joy of the Lord by leaning on Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God. That's what Jesus does. He takes the last several weeks of corruption, catastrophe and confusion and all that sin makes a way so that we can come to repentance asking for forgiveness and being reconciled to God before it's too late. God creates good things, but let it not slip past our minds that God created hell as well. It's a place. You know, and it's a place we don't hear about much in church anymore because we don't want to offend people. But hell's a real place. Jesus didn't mind talking about it. And I don't mind talking about it because I don't want you to go there. And so I want to tell you there's a place called hell. And listen, hell is hell because God is there. As one pastor said. That's why we read in Revelations 14.10 and the smoke of their torment ascended up into the presence of the Lamb. He was there. And He understands it well. Hell is the pure flaming wrath and justice of God. And He has made it possible in His Son that all of us can come to repentance. That none of us have to step into that relationship with Satan. But He's made it possible in Jesus Christ that we can come to Him. That we don't have to work our way to heaven. But that we can simply look to Him for our salvation. Hell is hell because God is there. There's nothing in this world that God created that He's not in charge of. But the Lord says, wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire for every soul that's ever been created. There will be some that say, well, God chose before the foundations of the world people to go to hell and people to go to heaven. That's a debate for another time. But I can tell you, Scripture teaches that He wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Jesus Christ became a man that He might take our place on the cross at Calvary. And in verse 3, teaches us what Christ does. His power is unthinkable. And if He can save a man like me that lived a life of rebellion and habitual sin, that's a miracle in itself. And He's given me a new heart. He's given me a new desire. And I want that for you, and that's what God wants for you today. And we should praise God just as we praise the Son. You see, the teachings of Christ is what Christ does. 
And so we also see that he, the text teaches us who Christ is, what Christ is. John 1, 4-5 reads this. On the way... Uh, sorry. He was life, and life was the light of man. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus was life. We understand what that means? Jesus was life. There was life in Himself. Listen, everything that has ever been created is becoming something. I'm becoming a better man in Christ. I'm becoming a better father. I'm becoming a better husband. I'm becoming bigger because I'm eating. We're all becoming something. Everything that has been created is becoming. But Christ is self-existent. And He has never been created. And therefore, only God is self-existent. And therefore, Christ is God. Three persons in one with different roles. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Some say that if you try to explain it, you'll never understand it. If you try to understand it, you'll lose your mind. The reality is, God didn't intend for us to understand it the way we think we can understand it. We can't understand the things of God. Our minds are minute and tiny compared to God. But we can understand our own world and what we have in it. And we see things all the time. I'm not a mathematician, but this is three in one. You have length, width, and height. It's one. It's possible. We see things all the time. But it's really another great passage for the deity of Christ. And the life was the light of men. Listen, life here in John's Gospel refers not to like uh, uh, you had a child and there was a new life. The word here is zoe in the Greek. And so this life is a spiritual, refers to a spiritual or eternal life. And so this life that Jesus was to bring into the world was the light of men. And I was in Israel last summer, studying there in the Holy Land, and I had the opportunity to take a trip through Hezekiah's Tunnel. It's about a 45-minute walk through a dark, dark tunnel with water about up to my knees, and I had to stoop down and walk through that hole and eventually it opened up. But at one point in that trip, we said, hey, hey, let's turn out the lights. And for the first time in my life, I experienced true darkness. I put my hand in front of my face and did everything I could, and I couldn't see anything. It was dark. Completely black. And after a few minutes, one young lady, she couldn't stand it anymore. It was just too dark for her. She said, i got to cut a light on. And so she cut it on, and about the moment as she cut her light on, behold, the light overcome the darkness. And it was darker no longer. It was dark no longer. You see, Jesus came into the world and He was the light. And He entered to a dark sinful humanity. But the darkness of the world that was offered could not overcome Him because He was light. And just as that young lady flipped that light on 
and you could see things, that's what Jesus Christ did in this world. He came into this world, and as He came, He became light. You see, men of that day tried to put out the light. It was too bright for them, so they nailed Him to a cross, which He willingly went. They mocked Him, and they tried to take His life, but Jesus said, I laid down my life. And they placed Him in the grave, but the grave couldn't hold Him. And so we see in this passage in Revelations 17 and 18, He says, I am the first and the last, the living one. And I was dead, but hold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. They couldn't suppress the light that came into the world because it already took effect. And what Christ does is overcome the darkness when you look to Him. And you see Christ for who He is and what He offers. And if you fail to behold His glory today, you'll be living your life in a rebellion against God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And no matter how hard you try to live your life, no matter how good you try to be, the reality is you can't get away from the light. It shines way too bright. I don't find it very interesting that when Paul was on the road to Damascus, he said, I saw a light brighter than heaven. And it showed down on me and my companions and we all fell down. And I heard a voice in Aramaic. He said, who are you, sir? He said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Jesus is the light. And He's the light of men. And if you refuse to respond in faith today, then you are being absolutely rebellion against the light that has been given to you. You can't walk out of these doors and not see God in creation. And we see it in Romans 1 where it talks about it. And listen, there are godly people in this church and they are serving God and they are doing things of God and they are a perfect, good representation of what happens to somebody when they are regenerated. And praise the Lord for you and your service in this church. But let us not forget the purpose of John's Gospel. John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31 reads this, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciple which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. This morning I beg you, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall be saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Your mercy Your grace sufficient. And we are grateful today your salvation. God, we know Your Word is truth. We see and throughout Your Word Your claim to be deity. Do I understand it 100%? Of course not. There's some things that my finite mind can't understand, but I know that Your Word claims it. And therefore, if I'm going to claim Your Word truth, I have to step out in faith and believing that what You say is absolute truth. Help us as a church to hold fast to the things of God. 
And I pray for the lives of these people here that You would use them and empower them and create in them a new life. Father, at the moment we understand that a man can't draw himself to God, but that You must draw first to Him. It brings us to one point. That's to our knees. Because God, we know that You have to first initiate that. So I pray, God, that You today draw somebody to Yourself. And that they would respond in faith. And they would say, even forgive a sinner such as me.